0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate
1: our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon, or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation.
0: Good afternoon, mate. It's the second one of the day. Podcast number two. Yeah. It's wild Wednesday. Are you fed (laughs) up with me already? Uh, maybe maybe next week we <laughs> will be. we back five minutes, <laughs> you're probably bored already. Today, it's chapter eight of the Business of Injecting episodes, and we're joined by Kelly George, all the way from Tamworth. Uh, how are you, Kelly? Hey, guys.
2: I'm amazing, thank you. Amazing. Be you've
0: been working today, so you obviously didn't have a stressful day.
2: Oh, actually, I really had, I did have a stressful day. <laughs> My whole week's been stressful, actually. But I love, you know, I love what we do, so it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's like two thirty. I'm home at two thirty in the afternoon. So that's
0: not too bad, is it? So that's not, not you, too
2: bad. A day. Did you come home
1: especially for us, or was this your afternoon off?
2: I usually finish
1: at three on a okay. on a Wednesday. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Fair enough. So maybe for the listeners who are newer <laughs> to the podcast, um, this is chapter eight of what we call the business of injecting episode. So we focus on you know injectors in and around the world who. Have obviously set up businesses who have maybe doing something extra as well as injecting and sort of dive into the the back end of all of that and Kelly's a really successful registered nurse here in Australia and we thought why not let's yeah. talk because she does her podcast she's a KOL for various people she's a superstar injector and she's also got an interesting background where she worked in pharma before being an injector so it's kind of a interesting episode.
1: Yeah. So, hopefully. yeah. Well, why don't we kick off with just telling us a little bit about your background. Jake alluded to your history in farmer. You're not originally from yeah. Tamworth. You're from a major capital Sydney. city, Sydney. Um, and big change moving from, I've got family in Tamworth, believe it or not, strangely. Um, <laughs> and so, I've been there. I know there's a, there's a big difference in terms of yeah. just the lifestyle, the number of people. You're sort of living in a large country town. And so, yeah, just give us a bit of a background about your history and, and kind of what led you from Sydney farmer to Tamworth owned business.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I guess, so straight out of school, my, I went to uni, we did, I did business and marketing, mm-hmm. loved marketing, love, love, loved it. And I actually pre-farmer, I used to work for BMW. So I was in the sort of events side of things for BMW. This is back in the days when there were money in cars and they used to host huge events and race days, you know, golf days, all the great stuff you used to get to do. So Mm -hmm. that was really fun. And then I ended up just sort of, I fell into pharma, which happened to be my first job in pharma was with Allegan Mm -hmm. in facial aesthetics. And I was there for about five years, worked in the marketing side of things. And towards the end I sort of started helping out with the training side of things and that was at the time when we were just getting up and running the new sort of mm. online program for nurses and doctors who wanted to become injectors they had to kind of pass that online course mm. so you know as much as I absolutely genuinely loved the marketing side of things I I found that I was more and more drawn to the clinical and I kept trying to find ways to be involved in the clinical side of things and then I sort of had this Oh, it was an amazing event. It was oh, what the old Cosmetex, I don't know if yeah. you remember them, yep. Jake, but yeah, back in the day, the big event was Cosmetex. Um, and we had that. And then we had one over in New Zealand. I can't remember what that one was called. And my job in New Zealand was to look after the famous Dr. Arthur Swift
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, you know, run around, get him anything you need, make sure he was happy, make sure his wife was happy, do all that sort of stuff. And The other part of my job, I guess, was to look after the patients that he was live injecting. And so I had this really close relationship with these patients. You would know yourself when you're injecting someone on stage, you have a lot of time with them in the lead up, you talk to them a lot, you really get to know these people, then they go and get injected. And then you've got a lot of post care stuff. And the these people or these women genuinely or ge- generally had not had any treatment before. So they were very nervous. They were very vulnerable. They were, they were there for full-face rejuvenation. And the difference in their behavior or their demeanor from before they went out and were treated by the wonderful Dr. Arthur Swift to afterwards was just the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. The yeah. way that these women were just so much more confident and so happy with how they looked and they, you're trying to ask them questions, but they kept looking in the mirror and, you know, it was just, it was such a beautiful thing to me. And I thought, oh, wow, like I want to make someone feel that way. And not that I could ever do what Arthur Swift does, but, you know, even a little bit of that. And, and so that's why I decided to go back to university, become a nurse and be able to do this on my own. I just wanted to be able to pick up the needle instead of sort of always being around it, but not being able to do it myself.
0: Wow. Mm. What year was that when you were with Allegheny and when did you go to uni?
2: I went to uni 2011, no, 11. Yeah. Is that right? What is it? 2033. Yeah. (laughs) 11 years ago. (laughs) I don't know what the dates are anymore. Yeah. So about 11 years ago. And at the time there was some conversation around, do you want to do it part time and stay here? But I was like, no, I just want to get this done. I want to, I want to do that three years and be back and come back.
1: Right. Okay, and then so what happened when you finished Mm -hmm. your degree? So, you know, three years of, yeah.
2: What happened along the way was I was enrolled in UTS, ready to to go there, and then my husband got offered a job up here, which was supposed to only be for 12 months. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going to uni. If I can get into UNA instead and swap it around, there's no big deal. I I could do it up there and you can do the job and we can have the tree change. And by the time I'm finished, we can move back to Sydney and everything will be great. So what I but what I did because I was kind of chomping at the bit I guess to to get my hands on this I did my EN so mm-hmm. in, it, at the time it was still endorsed enrolled nurse at the same time as my RN so the first two years I was kind of doing that dual mm-hmm. uh, degree slash diploma so that for my third year of registered nursing I was an enrolled nurse so I could technically work under a doctor mm-hmm. so then for my third year of nursing full time mind you. I approached a doctor who at the time was just doing fly-in, fly-out up here in Tamworth, and I said, look, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is what I can do. I know you fly a nurse here once a month for two days. I'm here, so why don't you use me instead? And he sort of he went, yeah, sure, that sounds great. <laughs> so then I spent the next year with him, and it became not just Tamworth, but we were uh, Bathurst, Waga, Batemans Bay, Golden, yeah. Young, Dubbo, everywhere. So for that third year of nursing, my life was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uni, get on a plane Friday morning, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, working somewhere remotely for, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day.
0: Wow. Can I ask you a controversial question? Of course. What do you think of nurses who go to nursing school now with the pure intention of just getting straight into cosmetics because your background was different. You were immersed mm. in the industry for, you know, five years and you you understood it all. But w- what do you think of that now? Because I think things have changed.
2: Mm. Yeah, every single person wants to be one.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, look, like anything, I think if they're truly doing it because it's something that they're passionate about and they're not just on a whim going, oh, look, I think this looks like a really fun, glamorous life because it's not let's be real yeah because it's a hard work and to do it well takes a lot. <clears throat> I think that's fine but yeah I think the ones who are doing it for the wrong reasons which is probably any job anywhere mm. th- yeah but I mean how do you
1: yeah
2: how do you police that how do you mm. control that?
1: And what about sort of the skill set that you leave your sort of time in hospital doing placement? and then going straight into being independently practicing on your own. So, I mean, you know, I've spoken about this on the podcast and I don't want to sort of paint everyone with the same brush, but I think that, I mean, my partner's been through nursing. She did the same thing that you did. She did E and then RN. And she, while she was doing in, was still working at hospital, I encouraged her to go and do anesthetics because she's going to get airway support, emergency protocols, rapid seek, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff that would I hope would arm her with you know, enough confidence to deal with an emergency situation and stay calm in the rare event that it happened. And so I kind of look at people that are coming out these days, you know, talking generally. And I think there's in some instances or a lot of instances, there's a lack of bedside manner, a lack of ability to sort of read patient, communicate, you know, know what to say no to, you know, how to deal with a a vasovagal situation, which could be quite scary, even though it's you know, mm-hmm. something that can happen mm, no, n- not too infrequently, and it should be okay if you know how to handle it. But, you know, some people would freak out. So I guess, you know, to sort of further push on, on Jake's point, you know, do you feel there's potentially an issue with people not having enough basic skills to then go into independent practice? Because as nurses, you're trained to work as a team and under general, you know, you're in a hospital under like a doctor's supervision or a team of doctor's supervision. Now you're sort of in a clinic on your own. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, what, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Yeah.
2: Yeah no I agree and like you I mean I'm not saying it's every single yes. person out there but for the most part yeah I do believe and I would encourage new nurses to do some time in the hospital or to do some time at the very least working in a in a larger practice or a larger surgery underneath you know multiple doctors and nurses who so they can be around and experience all those things that might happen because it's, it is, you are quite autonomous. And if you are straight out of nursing school and straight into your own business by yourself, you, you don't know what to do. And that would be very, very scary, I think. And I think that's just not safe for the patient. Yeah. So I do think that there needs to be some formal guidelines around how much you've done before you step in and, and mm. now you're kind of the boss, really. I mean, yeah. yes, we have to call the doctor and yes, we get a script, but it is all on me in that clinic. And so my nurse who, the first nurse I hired after myself, she was an ICU nurse. And I mm. literally love the fact that I have a really experienced mm. ICU nurse there because I've got newer nurses who are coming through, who have worked with me for a very long time, but gone back to uni mm. and become currently becoming nurses mm-hmm. and I think having her there to sort of oversee those things and make sure we we have our safety protocols in place is very very important
1: yeah it's pretty hardcore doing ICU nursing so you've got to have your wits about yeah. you so yeah um you came back to Tamworth or you moved to Tamworth to study, you um, took some person's job <laughs> and started doing doing all the injecting. And so, so
2: I said that so proudly. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I, I just uh,
1: you know got this person doing the I job, i Yeah, yeah. See you later. <laughs> um, so what, what what happened after <laughs> that? So you're working for this doctor doing treatments and now all of a sudden you've yes. got sort of your own business. So what could have happened in between then and, so and now. I, yeah.
2: yeah, so I spent the year doing that with him and then I'm not like a huge advocate for the fly in fly out yep. model. I don't think it's the best thing for patient mm. um, like long term care treatment planning, things like that. Uh, So after I actually became a registered nurse, then I, we still were living here and we still didn't know if we were actually moving back. But by that point, the kids were kind of in school and Mm -hmm. settled and we were like, oh, now we're kind of Tamworth people. So (laughs) I was flying back to Sydney Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and working in a large clinic down there under sort of a team of doctors and some surgeons so that I could get my skills up, basically, because I was technically straight out of university and didn't actually work in a hospital. So mm. I didn't want to open my own clinic immediately. I wanted to have some of that that mm. time. And it, you kind of just want to be able to see how different people inject. I mean, everybody... Takes a little bit from somebody and creates mm-hmm. their own version of what works for them. But I think if you don't if you don't watch lots and lots of people inject, how do you do that? And how yeah. are you a really thorough injector without all that knowledge?
1: Mm-hmm. And did you always have aspirations to do your own business? Like, had you always had in the back of your mind? One day I'm going to yes. open up my own thing. Okay. Oh yeah, from like yeah.
2: day from the day I enrolled in university. Yeah. And then it was made more clear for me when I was working for some other people, um, not to to bag anyone out, but I really like to do things. Particularly, you know, from I, I map out my patient journey from the moment they call the clinic through to the moment that they rebook everything's this beautiful flow and the way they're treated and the, the thing I've got scripts everyone's told the same thing um and so I didn't like how some other clinics were being run um in a way that I thought just wasn't as patient-centered as I would like so mm. it was always my idea I wasn't sure if I would do it in the first year uh maybe five-year plan but yeah I just I felt ready and at the time, I still had a doctor coming on site to work with me as well. So it wasn't just through, you know, a, a prescribing app, um, which I don't think I would have felt ready for at the time either. Mm. I wanted that sort of hands-on, I, even if it was just, it was still me doing it. I liked the fact that there was someone there overseeing mm. or just if it, even if he was in the next room and I could be like, oh, hey, is this normal? You know, I just <laughs> feel like you don't know everything for those first few years.
0: Did, did your prescribing doctor inject as well, or they just sort of part yeah. there doing admin and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because so I've-
2: he so then when I ended up opening up in Tamworth, he was still doing his go all around the world thing, mm-hmm. and my clinic was now one of his stops. So okay. we kind of switched it up instead of. Me working with him, him.
0: Yeah. he was working with me. So, did you have a formal business plan? Did you have to sit down with the bank and an accountant and yes. a lawyer, and you know, oh, it was my all goodness. mapped out. So, this
2: is like, I guess, where my business coaching comes into play now because my business plan was twenty-eight pages long, <laughs> and it involved it included like market projections for the world, market projections for the local environment, the country. <laughs> I, it, I did like SWOT analysis. <laughs> I did like all that old school business marketing mm-hmm. stuff that i was taught like first time round at university mm-hmm. which just worked for me i think and so i i looked at all the other people who were doing fly in fly outs so i looked at any there was a sort of a gp sort of dabbling in it at the time looked at exactly what they were offering what they weren't offering what i was going to offer that they couldn't offer being permanent and and being i guess i'm also quite skin focused So, yeah, there was a lot of planning that went into it. And when I went to the bank, yeah, they they saw my business plan, they saw my financial forecast, and I think that definitely helped with me being able to get the ball rolling.
1: Mm, Impressive. Impressive. So what sort of capital did you need to get started?
2: So I spent my house deposit. So that
1: was was a nice risk, yeah.
3: Well, thankfully, my husband
2: uh, trusted my vision enough. But no, so we put in thirty thousand of our own, and the bank gave us thirty thousand. So that's what I started with. We did all the fit out ourselves Mm -hmm. at the time. Like my clinic has evolved since then, and I would like to say a little bit more sophisticated. But at the time, Mm -hmm. it was Bunnings caboodle kitchen stuff like that my husband was figuring out how to do it along the way my kids were down there cleaning and scrubbing the part of the clinic used to be used as a nail salon right and there were you know acrylic nails in the grooves of all of the um the wooden floorboards which did not come out with vacuuming so we had to get down there and pick all these individual oh nice (laughs) Cut acrylic nails. It was, like, disgusting. But, you know, these are the things you've got to do. Oh, so
1: that's where COVID came from. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Patient zero was in Tamworth. <laughs> that's
0: right. It's not Wuhan, after all. <laughs> so what did the space look like? How big was it? How many staff did you have? How many rooms? What were you offering at the very start?
2: So that's, yes, yeah, so that was the next thing. So I had a vision, as I said. So the room, the place had the capacity for four rooms, but I did not have the budget for four rooms. Mm. So I was able to do the reception, make the reception look beautiful and do two treatment rooms. Mm. And then the other two treatment rooms just had the doors closed, yeah. painted. You would, wouldn't would know what was in there, but they were just empty shells, probably still with some nails stuck in the floor. <laughs> Dead
0: bodies in the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, that, yeah all that usual stuff. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. And then, so it was just me. For the first year, I was literally everything. Like, and, and also, this is something that I tell people a lot because I know it can get really discouraging in those early days when you don't have any patients, but I sat there all day, every day, whether I had one patient or if I was excited to have three patients, just in case someone walked in the door, just in case someone called. I just wanted there to be someone there no matter what. And I think that really worked. Mm, yeah. And I just used that time to continue to business plan and plan out what I wanted in the next one year and mm-hmm. five years. And it all sort of came together. I think just because I was like ready to be there and just yeah. ready to do what I had to yeah.
1: do. And so where was your income coming from? Were you just working off your husband's money? Husband. Right. Okay. Yeah.
2: I was lucky. So, I mean, I was paying myself a very, very basic sure. wage, like yeah. just not, not a lot at all. And then of course there were genuinely some weeks I would say in the first 18 months that yeah. I didn't pay myself I just couldn't afford mm. it for the week or I'd, I'd have to buy my three vials of anti-wrinkle because yep. that's the minimum you can yeah. buy and I'd be like I can have that today. <laughs> yeah. Um you know so it's like anyone starting and then yeah by about by about 18 months I would say I was solidly able to pay myself properly. Yeah. And I was able to bring on my first mm. team member.
1: Yeah. And so so you did your degree in 2011 so what year is this You opening your clinic? What, 2014, 2015? 2015. Okay. So industry's starting to get a bit of momentum by then, but from my experience in owning clinics in, let's call it regional, Canberra's not really mm-hmm. regional, but it's, you know, it's, it's more similar to Tamworth than it is to Sydney in a lot of ways in terms of size. And I think that the smaller population centres have a more conservative market. You know, people in, in mm-hmm. Sydney are just willing to just, flaunt it all and, and not really too worried about what people think it's pretty accepted and that's probably true of most major cities around the world mm-hmm. um, but Tamworth would be very different to that so how did you sort of prepare for that mindset change that different cultural attitude towards injectables because people don't want people to know like I remember the early days people were coming in with like brown paper bags of cash under the table oh, like yeah. it was I mean, highly secret don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah.
2: so my, I was very conscious of that. So I specifically chose a location not on Peel Street, Main Street of Tamworth. As you would know, in regional mm-hmm. towns, there is a Main Street and everybody knows that Main Street. So I, I we're kind of off. The beaten track, yeah. not beaten track. We're one road off, <laughs> not the, not the dirt road. Yeah. <laughs> but we're one road off, yeah. and we at the time there was someone else above us. Yeah, mm. I've now taken over the second floor, so the whole building is mine. Oh, but yeah. at the time, someone else was above us, so you had to walk into this little alcove. And technically, if someone saw you walking into the alcove, you might be going to us or you might be going upstairs. And I think that helped right. people feel a little bit more confident about walking in there. Yeah. In terms of the money that people were willing to spend, I think from like, even though I said my clinic has evolved and it definitely looks more sophisticated these days, I did set it up from the get go to kind of have a Sydney feel and a, and a big city vibe to mm. it because from my I guess experience doing the the rounds of the regional towns people still want it and people people in Tamworth without us or without me were traveling to Newcastle or traveling Mm -hmm. to Sydney you know these people live on farms their kids are at private schools in Sydney they they're down there often so it's not that they don't want the treatment and it's not that they're not prepared to spend the money it's just that they I, I felt that they wanted to get that experience that came Mm. with going to a city clinic and so I tried to give that to them as well and so from the get-go I have tried to position myself as the premium choice and the premium option and we will we we don't sort of discount we don't I mean I never really have any kind of discounts other than one day a year on our birthday and so I think that helped me attract a particular caliber of patient Mm. and although it may be grew a little more slowly than if you were able to bring in all the the price shoppers, they've all stayed. You know, my Mm. patient retention rate is very, very high. So Mm. I think it was, I I still think that was the way to go.
0: In my experience, the more regional a patient is, the more, well, the better they spend and the more loyal they are. They're nice patients. They very rarely complain. They're just happy i don't know yeah they're they're beautiful people Uh, what do you what do you specifically do walk us through your customer service and your experience because we we hear about it a lot and i think every clinic is different every everyone has their own idea of what what premium or what nice feels like so do, do you do anything specifically on your patient journey or that's in your entrance or how you welcome people or you know what do you do to make people feel special
2: We have, we do have a lot of, I guess, I like to call them touch points before and post treatment to just, and I think that's important. If they've say, let's just say, for example, they've booked in for a laser genesis, and this is the first time they've ever had a picogenesis. We we will contact them. We will actually send them a little 10 minute video of what it is like Mm -hmm. what it looks like before and after, what the treatment and a bit of an explanation. And I think that's really they really like that. They really enjoy that, particularly the ones that are very nervous. And particularly the ones who have heard all those horror stories about Mm. laser, you know, they think they're gonna walk out looking like, you know, Samantha Jones in that peel episode of (laughs) Sex in the City. You know, they sort of don't know. So that's really cool. We, you know, we have little things like, um, you know, we sell the beauty chef, so we've got the beauty chef Mm. there as a sample when they get there. And also, I think the person on reception is very, very important, particularly in a country town, because everyone kind of does know everyone. And even yeah. if you don't know them directly, you know the group that they're from and you know of them. And so, our receptionist is actually phenomenal at knowing sort of where everybody sits in the world. And she can have that little chat with them that is not too much and not like invasive or any kind of sort of privacy issues. But, you know, how is. You know, I, how was the the ladies' day the other day? You know that sort of stuff. So I think that's really important because I'm not from the town, and anyone from a country town or a regional town knows that unless you've lived there for 20 years, you can't even say that you're a local at all. And so <laughs> I'm I'm certainly not a local of Tamworth, which I think serves me well because then in the room, they're not afraid to say what they want, and I hear all the inside <laughs> bits because they know I'm not connected to anyone outside. But for that welcome, they want to feel like they know somebody. So I think that's been really helpful for us as well. And then we, you know, obviously like, like a lot of great places, we really spend our time on the consultation and there's a lot of conversation around treatment planning and you don't need to do it now, but what about this in the future? There's a lot of um, before and afters. And there's a lot of, I talk a lot about the science behind aging, not just, and and not in a too in-depth way, but in a, you know, this is what happens as we age and this is why you're seeing this. And All it takes is to say something as simple as, oh, you know, have you noticed that maybe your makeup sits in those lines and those lines look a little bit worse, you know, when you've got makeup on than if you don't. They're like, oh, my God, yes, I'm totally. You know, and then you can explain why that might be the case and then, you know, they've got that trust in you. The other thing is we're very big on not selling. We're we're a non-selling selling, if you know what I mean. I don't like that you have to buy seven products. So for all of our patients, we try to pick if we are selling them products, we try to pick that one product at the start when they're in their initial consultation that we know will will change their skin mm. and then they will trust us and they will love us and they will come back and ask what else they need. I'm, I'm not about here's a pack of five and you have to have that.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's a contentious point, isn't it? Because there is an element of the industry who are very sales-focused, who um, mm. they are sort of more, re- more recent additions to the industry, but pr- traditionally nurses are carers they get into the nursing profession because they want to care and look after people and they're taking care of real world illnesses and conditions and injuries and so that transition into a want-based service which this is i mean i know there are some therapeutic applications for injectables but for Mm -hmm. 99.9999 it's you're not going to die if you don't have injectable intervention right so Although some people might think, some people yeah, think well, during COVID, COVID was a great example. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and, and you sort of touched on a great point, which is selling without selling. And this is something I talk to my consulting clients about a lot. And when I had, you know, teams of nurses working for me over the years, it's that education piece and being confident and forthright enough to take the time to educate the patient, to connect with them, really understand mm. what they want, what are their drivers, mm. and just genuinely tell them what you think is in their best interest. And not sell. So, as you said, it is selling without selling. So, how do you sort of? How did you initially grapple with that? I guess maybe a little bit different because you came from a different background. Initially, you didn't come, you know, through, you know, long many years in the hospital system. You knew this is what you wanted to do. So, Mm -hmm. how how do you? What advice would you give to injectors who potentially? Because I think it is the missing component with a lot of practices, especially now, when we're moving into a, a time in this space where the industry is maturing. We're moving into a consolidation period in this space and if you're not on your A game, you're not gonna be successful. I mean, I think this industry was relatively idiot proof um, up until the last sort of, mm. you know, maybe three to four years, depending on where you are in the world. And it's tightening up now. You really need to be ticking every box. Nothing can be left to chance. You really need to know mm-hmm. what you're doing. So how do you, um, well, again, so how? what advice would you give to injectors that are sort of struggling with that component? And how do you sort of coach that to your team? So you mentioned you've got some nurses coming through now who've been with mm-hmm. you for a little while. Um, Yeah. Just talk to me a little bit about that. So
2: I think for me, the answer is that that there was a two, there's two sides to it. So first of all, and I know this probably sounds a bit cheesy, but genuinely speak, I I really hand on heart mean it. I was never in this for money. So for me, when I was recommending something or selling something and I I'm known for saying no, like genuinely known for saying no, but I, I, I wouldn't ever offer something to them if I didn't think it was going to work for them. So the results for the patient and the patient satisfaction is my number one priority. And if I earn some money from it, then that's great because I can have a house and go on a holiday But and eat food, which is <laughs> more, <laughs> more important than the holiday, but yeah. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and then the second thing is I have my philosophy and my tagline that I actually trademarked is science, not marketing gimmicks. And for me, because I have that marketing background and I understand the marketing world I really wanted to always make sure that every single decision I made in my clinic was based on science. So Mm. if I do not sell any products that are not really heavily backed by clinical data, Mm -hmm. I don't offer any treatments that aren't very heavily, you know, nothing I bring into the clinic is just because it's kind of a trend or a fad or like, I want to see it working and I need to see it working on me. And then I need to see it working on a few other people that I know before I'll even consider having it um, in my clinic. And so I think, purely because everything now that I can offer and everything that my team can offer, because that's what I've brought in will work for the majority of people provided that you're, I guess, prescribing the right Mm. thing for the skin condition. I don't really have any fear that people are going to be dissatisfied
3: Mm.
2: because I know it works. Yeah, And so I think, you know, people... No, you know, if you're setting up your clinic and you're thinking about what skincare you want to sell or what treatments you want to do, you just have to not. It's very easy to jump on the bandwagon and mm. be like, "Oh, such and such has got this, and it looks really cool." And mm. and you know, a lot of device companies are getting celebrities in to talk about it, and <laughs> you know, you could easily fall into the trap of going, "Oh, well, that must be really cool then," and I need it because then I can put Kim mm. Kardashian on my page because she had that, and Elle McPherson had that, you know, that sort of stuff. So I think as long as you you shut out the marketing and you look at the clinical data and the science behind something, then you know that what you're selling to your patients is going to work. Yeah. Because science is science, right? Yeah.
1: And so in terms of training your new staff, is this something that you sort of drill into them from from day one? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. I mean, we have one particular staff, she's been with me for a million yeah. years now okay. and she's wonderful, but she sort of came from more of a model where they had to sell anything and everything and we had to kind of go, no, 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 that's <laughs> just, yeah. no, We don't. we don't work that way.
1: Yeah. So you did a business plan for the bank and really all they're interested in is, can you pay back your loan? How often are you going to do it? How soon are you going Mm -hmm. to do it? And if you can't, how are we going to get our money back? So that's really all the bank cares about, right? So what I want to know is how far has your business plan gone beyond that? So in terms of, I'm not going to ask how old you are, but I'm assuming you've probably got a good you know 15 to 20 years left in your career at this sort of pace mm-hmm. depending you know you've, you've got kids growing up I'm sure grandkids are you know maybe. yeah, you know. So <laughs> yeah. There, there, there'll be a point, grandkids, your, at, some I'm point only 43. at some point at you some, some point hey hey you never know um at some point I mean point, no you at,
2: don't but yeah <laughs> please I mean, not yet <laughs>
1: apparently grandkids are easier than kids apparently you can hand them back when you've had enough
2: oh I don't know, not if my son was having one I don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I guess the the point I'm trying to make is at some point you're going to want to reduce your workload you've built a business, a legacy and so how far have your plans and thoughts gone towards or what does the next stage look like what if I want to work less, how do I do you want to expand into more locations, do you want Mm -hmm. to potentially look at selling the business at some point i just don't know if your staff listen to this like i don't know
2: no, it's my baby never yeah uh yeah no i do i i definitely have plans i've yeah. got i've got sort of a one and a five-year plan and the working list thing is probably the hardest yeah. part i mean any business owner will tell you that right yeah. you 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 work your butt off to get it to a certain point yeah. but then everybody wants you yeah so i've been working hard on on that i am very very fortunate that i have this succession of student nurses who have worked with me for many, many years who will be sort of coming through uni at different times. And so I will have that time. I will have the time to sort of train them up and get them to where I want them to be.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, I also have my two other very highly qualified nurses who work there as well. So I am at a point where I'm able to travel a lot more Mm -hmm. and do the speaking events and the things Mm -hmm. that I've started doing in the last two years I also next year I am planning on setting up a second Ooh, clinic,
1: there you go.
2: North Coast. Yes, so we're currently looking for locations and just trying to kind of find the perfect spot and the perfect place. And then I will go between the two, mm. and probably the plan is to work my butt off for another ten years <coughs> and kind of get the second location to the to the spot that that the Tamworth location is currently at, Mm-mm. where you know I could step out if I really. Wanted to, not that I want to, and then hopefully for another maybe five years, do a week here, a week there. Yep. But you know, things are running without me.
0: Yeah. Excuse my ignorance. Where's
1: the North Coast? Or you were talking like Ballina? What are you talking about? How far? Yeah, Ballina? like
2: somewhere between Byron and the border. Okay. Yeah. So
1: northern nice. New South Wales on the border between Queensland and New South Wales. So hmm. okay, so that all sounds great. You've got some great staff members. Um, inevitably, if you've set up something successful. There's going to be more successful people coming into the space. What's your plan to hold on to your staff? I mean, I'm sure they really love you, right? And they love working yeah, they there. Do. But what's your But what's I, your retention strategy for them?
2: Yeah, so I talk, actually get asked to speak a lot about team yep. culture because yep. anyone that's ever been to my clinic kind of walks out of it going, how are all your teams so beautifully happy and wonderful? And I invest a lot of my time every year, like deliberate time and money into uh team morale Mm -hmm. i'm very big on our team so we have uh every year at the start of the year we have something called the rose gold event which is our team event Mm -hmm. and there's a couple of components to that one of one of which is i take them out and we do all these amazing fancy things so Mm -hmm. if you think about a group of people who have grown up in a regional town and are young still so they potentially haven't been able to travel the world yet and see Mm -hmm. some of the things that maybe i've seen Mm -hmm. I and then I'm putting them in my clinic and saying, but we're the premium service, and I want you to treat all of our patients like you know, this is the best they'll, they'll ever get. It's very hard for them to understand what the difference might be between something premium and something franchise-y mm-hmm. maybe. I yeah. don't know, yeah, sure. So, so I take them to hatted restaurants, we stay at five star hotels, mm-hmm. I want them to see what the service difference is like between a pub meal and you know aria or something like that sure. you know so where where the waiter is there before you even think about the fact that your wine needs filling up that sort mm-hmm. of thing so yeah. that then they understand how cool that feels so that's that's one component which of course that's just a perk you know you don't mm-hmm. you're not going to get that if you're working for yourself and then the other component of our rose gold event is that we sit down and we talk about goals and we talk about not just business goals mm-hmm. So, for example, if someone said, look, I really want to do this course this year, I really feel like that's where I can develop and that's what I'm interested in, for sure, go for it. But personal goals as well. So, And personal needs because people are not always only financially driven. Yes, of course, it's important, Mm -hmm. but there are things in people's lives that are are just as important to them. So, for example, I have one nurse and her husband is a fly-in, fly-out, or he's not always in town. Mm -hmm. So some part of the time he has to work away. So for her, she sort of came to me last year and said, can I have one Friday a month off so that on the weekends that he's home, we have three solid days together? Absolutely. Of course you can. So, but if I hadn't had that conversation with her and hadn't known that this was an important thing in her personal Mm -hmm. life, how would we be able to support her in that way? So, So every single year we sit down and we do that at the start of the year. And of course, we're very supportive throughout the year. And I, I just want them to feel valued all the time, and I want mm. them to feel challenged all the time. So I don't mm. ever really let them get to a place where they feel like they'd be better off somewhere else, or better off by their own, or mm-hmm. a place where they feel under-challenged.
1: Mm. And what happens if there's a Kelly George in your team that has aspirations to have their own business one day? Are you willing yeah. to support that? Are you, I would you, support.
2: I would support them. You know, yeah. I feel like I have the type of team. I, I do. I truly do feel like I, at this point, I have the type of team where if that was really their aspiration, they could, they could, would feel like they could come to me and tell me that 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 was their goal, and and I would help them achieve it. I really yeah. would.
1: And what if they said to you, "I'd like to be part of this. I'd like to be part of, you know, the dream. I love what you've done here. I feel that we could." have a good partnership. I know these might be uncomfortable questions. I I just, I have these conversations with people. I've had them in the past. Um, Mm. It's a a lot of people are starting to think this way because good people are difficult to find. They're hard to retain. We live in a world of instant gratification and the grass is always greener on the other side. But it it is a relevant question because um, equity, potential uh, acquisition, profit sharing, people who feel like they want they've given their heart and soul to this to, to your business or mm. to some to a business and you know the difference between them leaving and becoming a competitor might just be you being willing to grow that pie and share it with them so you know have you considered that are you completely you know not willing to entertain that because this is your baby and you don't want to share it or is it something you've thought about and and then so if yes um you know what does that look like if no then why no
2: Oh, that is a very, very difficult question. I look, I haven't thought about it before. I think I'd be open to entertaining it okay. with the right person.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's a trust thing, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Sorry, no, I, I yeah. know I pressed you on that. I, it's just, it's something that I'm talking to a lot of people around the world at the moment who've got businesses and they've got these, you know, everyone's got, you know, not all, but most people have some superstar in their team. And there's always that fear that one day, you know they're going to walk yeah. out the door not because they don't like you yeah. just because well you know yeah. if you've done it why can't I do it and so yeah. that that often comes up so that that's kind of why I asked the question because you have done it so well and I'm sure you've got some some people that you just yeah. would never want no never I would definitely
2: entertain it but I also like really think and I know that this is such a big thing everyone wants to go on their own yeah but, like could we have the conversation around like not everyone has to like yeah, can't of we. Pay people really well mm-hmm. and look after them really well and be a team. Yeah. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, my nurse probably gets paid more than me <laughs> at the end of the month because of her bonuses.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, when you yeah. own
2: a business, you pay yourself kind of what you need to survive, but yeah. you wanna you need to put it all back in. You know, I have I have a million dollars worth of devices in my clinic yeah. because whenever
1: yeah, profit crazy.
2: goes back into yeah things that we can help our patients with. So, you know, it's not all going in my pocket. And I think maybe something I do also do with my, my team is I share some of those things. Like they, they need to understand that it's not all rainbows and butterflies. Like there are hard times and there are times when you have to balance the budget and it's not Mm -hmm. just cash, 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 cash. And you know, your BAS bill might be $60,000. Like it's, it's an insane amount of money. So I think, as long as you've got that really nice balanced relationship mm. and you're looking after your team, I I don't know if everybody always yeah. has to go and work on their own. But yeah, I mean, I know some people will just have that in them. Like me, I would never be totally satisfied working for someone else. Yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: And I think and I think sorry, jo, and, I, and I think we sorry? are and I think we are kind of living in that world now where and I've spoken about this, you know, countless times on, on the podcast before is that nurses have sort of been set free in the last sort of five years or so, maybe less, with people like Fresh that have come onto the market mm. and essentially said, hey, um, now there's an easy way for you to work independently. You don't need to work in plastic surgeon, you know, XYZ's office. You mm. don't need to work in a chain clinic. Um, there's a really easy way for you to now to buy stock at a reasonable price to get the medical support and coverage from the scripting side that you need. And so I think there has been a, a huge push of people who've now had this – sort of barrier removed mm. and now it's like great so there's been like a liberation movement where everyone's gone out and I think there will be a lot of people you know to your point that go holy shit this is not as easy as I thought it was I'm responsible for everything and there's no patience mm-hmm. today and I'm not getting paid this is mm. not good so <laughs> yeah. I think there will be yeah. I mean yeah.
2: yeah so like to your point do you think sorry I shouldn't be interviewing no, you, you can, go for it hit me yeah That, you know, over the next few years, if more and more nurses are just constantly going out on their own, we're going to end up with a nurse in every corner and no one's going to be doing well. And at some point we're all going to have to go, oh, maybe, maybe we need to collaborate again and be back in the same place so that we can actually build a decent
1: business. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I think. Oh, go on, go on, Jay. Well, I was gonna ask a related question, but more clinical. So when you have nurses reach out to you from maybe uni or maybe even before uni, you say, Hey, I'd love to get into this and <laughs> and and work with you, or or can you train me? How do you approach that? Who who do you select? And and do you have like a formal training pathway? How do you decide someone's competent? All that kind of stuff.
2: I don't do clinical stuff. I do more business stuff. Okay. Mm. My only real rule is I don't, for conflict of interest, I don't um, take on any mentees that are within a two-hour radius of me because Mm -hmm. that would be kind of stupid to give them all my secrets and then they could set up down the road. Yeah. I have, like, quite a big area that I draw patients from because we are, you know, I've got people that come from Armidale, Coffs Harbour, Dubbo, Mm and, you know, big, big, Ghanada, big circle of people. Um, so I'm here to support and sort of help people as much as I can, but I also don't want to give all my secrets away to someone who will open up in Tamworth. Mm. Um, yeah. But clinically, no, I mean, I, I don't want to be responsible for like because as you say, there's no like formal way for mm. me to qualify somebody. So if someone wants to shadow me and watch what I'm doing for the day, You know, we talk business and they can watch what I'm doing and go, oh, is that how you do it? Yes, of course. But, you know, I haven't certified you as uh, able to do something.
0: Yeah. So then at what point do you then maybe take on a new nurse who can inject for you if you don't sort of imprint your own way of doing things?
2: Oh, okay. So people that actually work for me. Yes. Oh yeah. So they, so, okay. So they will learn exactly what I do clinically. I will of course have them certified, but like through fresh or, you know, uh, Alligan. I'll, I'll do all the, I'll send them anywhere they need to go to actually be formally certified, but oh yeah, no, they will learn exactly what I do so that then it's kind of, they're able to replicate it if they've got my patient, if I'm away or something, you know, or even just, You want the same results coming out of there, basically. They need to be able to assess the face, but they also need to do things the way I do things, which is, you know, we're natural results advocates. If the patient, Mm. you know, is hell-bent on being frozen, you know, we will agree, but for the most part, we're about giving people subtle, natural results.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the most difficult business challenges that you've had to deal with sort of since you opened? And so... You know, a lot of people listening to this, you know, all around the world sort of, you know, we get asked this, I get asked this question a lot. Um, it's spoken about a lot in our, in our, in our Patreon group and in challenges and how to overcome them. So what, what are the, the biggest things that you've had to sort of deal with and, and sort of learn from it? And you're happy to share those with us.
2: Yeah. I mean, I assume most people talk about team yeah. stuff mm-hmm. as one of the things. In the early days, so I'm a, I am, you've probably picked up, I'm, I'm an extremely giving person. Employee, mm-hmm, employer. Mm-hmm. I, I want them to feel valued, I, and I tr- and I trust people are going mm-hmm. to do their job. In the early days, I definitely. I mean, I've had someone steal a significant amount of money from me that I just did not even like. Wow. I mean, it was cash. It yes, but not just but like not just that. So I'd go to bank cash, but not all of the cash got banked. But it made it was able to make it look like it was products, products being sold to friends at discounted prices but actually not at discounted prices and the rest of it going in the pocket, (laughs) stuff like that. So very, very clever over a long period of time that just I didn't, I I didn't, in a million years wouldn't have thought it was happening. It was pretty upsetting. And so after that, I kind of took a long, hard look at myself and thought, "Am am I doing something wrong? Like do I need to be a bit more harsh or I need to be a little bit, different. And then I, and then I came to the conclusion, no, obviously I need to be a little bit more over these things, but, but I like who I am as an employer. I want to be the type of boss that I am. I just need to make sure I've got the right people around me. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, it was trusting my gut from the start. You know, the first person you have to let go, you hold on to for a lot longer than you should. The second person, you get there a little bit quicker. The third person, you're like, sorry, you're out. So, you know, <laughs> it was that getting used to, to to going, this is not gelling. This is not working. I'm sorry. Sorry. And then now I've got, you know, this team of 10 people that I just love to death and we all work really well. And, you know, I, I would trust all of them pretty much with my life, truly. So, yeah, yeah. I think the the team thing to start with, interestingly enough, and I, don't take this the wrong way, but I think in the early days, one of the hardest things before things like fresh existed mm. was dealing with the doctors that came into, i had I've gone, I had three people who doctors who had to come into my clinic and dealing with the fact that they would see that I was successful and doing very well and they wanted more and more and more of the pie every time they came. and so mm. the the original contract and the original deal that we had just, you know, they started doing less and wanting more because they just saw what was happening. But you know, that was all me. I was building it. These were my patients. They were coming to see me, and essentially, they were there to sign a piece of paper and go, "Yes, she can. She knows what she's doing," kind of thing. And so, you know, fresh for me was something that was just so uh, like I just it, it was like from godsend for me because I was like, okay, I don't have to deal with these people coming in and just you know wanting more and more and more and more of me yeah, when. Yeah they weren't doing anything. They were just upset that when they went back to their own clinics, it wasn't doing as well as mine.
1: <laughs> yeah. That they had a gun to your head.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But they had a gun to my head. Exactly. Yeah,
1: Pretty much. Exactly. Okay. So um, getting good at, at terminating the wrong people. Um, <laughs> know, identifying I'll, robbers. Identifying thieves. Oh God, we can share some stories, Kelly. I've got some, I've got some doozies to tell you. Um, hiring people. I've always struggled with this i've been through all of the processes so tell me the last three things you did in your last show me an example where you showed like all those stupid cliche questions which tell you nothing Mm -hmm. because you're effectively meeting their pr agent when you first Mm -hmm. sit down with them so what's your i mean i've I've developed my strategy over the years which is i'll take you out let's have a coffee somewhere let's talk about life i don't care what you know i care who you are is kind of my philosophy on things because I can teach you skills, I can't teach you ethics, and I can't teach you to be driven and a good person. Yeah. But what's your what's your hiring strategy? How do you overcome that? Because it's really tough, right? Because you could hire the wrong person. The next minute, they're in your in your business wreaking havoc, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Holy shit! Like, how, how did I miss that?" So, what's your hiring strategy? And, and sort of how do you go through that interview process and in culling out the you know the wheat from the chaff? Yeah, a little
2: bit a little bit similar similar yeah. to that. So. If you get the interview, you will first meet with my practice manager who will do the that type of, the, the old school type of stuff, the yeah. questions, tell me about a time when you were struggling, tell me about this, <laughs> tell me about that, you know, sort of cross the T's, dot mm-hmm. the I's, check the references, those sorts of mm-hmm. things. And if they get through that part, then they come and meet me and it is a vibe check, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And it is literally just chat, let's have a chat. And like they always come in and they're always so scared and they're not sure what to expect and I'm just like, so what's happening? What are you doing this weekend? And it's genuinely, like you just said, like we can teach things, but you cannot teach a vibe. You cannot teach that something about Mm. someone that you know is welcoming and engaging Mm. and that will work with the rest of your team.
0: Yeah. Well, they say you can't teach personality. (laughs) That's Mm. true. And you,
2: you absolutely cannot.
0: I'll tell you another common question that we mm. get through our Patreon, and, and you see this online and Facebook forums as well. When you employ a nurse, presumably, are they employed by you? Do they contract? Do you pay them per hour? How, how do you scale your your payments to your injectors? Because it's, it's a really common question mm. that comes up for clinics, you know, looking to employ injectors.
2: I have one contractor um, mm. because he just comes up for a few days. He's kind of like... Um, I like to say my full-face rejuvenation nurse because he he loves getting in there, getting deep down on bone and doing all the great stuff where yeah. I'm like, I like to finesse people on the top. <laughs> um, so he's paid, he's a contractor, but everyone else is an actual employee and they're paid based on, so if they've come straight out of out of like, for example, my ICU nurse, she did have to take a step back for a little while because even though she was a very skilled mm-hmm. intensive care nurse, she knew nothing about what we did. So she mm-hmm. had to be trained up again. So she went back to kind of that baseline wage. Mm-hmm. But then we we do have bonuses and we do have incentives, but our bonuses are not kind of like, they're not designed to make them sell things that yep. they shouldn't be selling either. So yep. they're paid very well so that that's a bit of a cherry on the top versus the main goal, if, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: 100%. And it works well. And, you know, we have a situation where, anyone you know if they're rebooking somebody for say a laser which you know $500 laser that would be nice to have the the bonus mm. of but if you're not available they will go to another person there's no like well i want to keep that patient for mm. that uh, you know financial gain we just yeah. don't have that in our clinic and and in the early days when we had a, a staff member who may have kind of thought that was the way it gets stamped out immediately because it yeah. all comes around in the end you know you might you they might not be available next time but you'll get them so
1: yeah um I often get asked, you know, the difference between employee, contractor, pros and cons. Happy to hear your thoughts. From my perspective, employee status gives you more control around restraints, potentially things like that. Contractors, you know, once you start getting to your size business, 10, is it 10 nurses? Okay. Uh,
2: Not all nurses, but 10 people. 10
1: people. You know, you start looking at things like payroll tax, which um, is the most insane tax ever invented. If anyone doesn't understand what that means. In Australia, if you start paying, I think it's more than six hundred thousand dollars in salaries per annum. Five percent of everything above that then goes back to the government as an additional tax. So what? It's like they're actually yeah. So they're actually tax- payroll
2: tax is the worst tax on the planet because you pay tax. Yeah, they're all they're paying tax and then you pay a tax again yeah. just paying them. I'm like,
1: this yeah, doesn't it, make any sense. Yeah, so it's basically yeah, I a, hate payroll tax. Oh, right, well, so it's like a distance. They're basically penalising you for yes. employing people.
3: Yes, exactly.
1: It's that's insane. It's mental. Sorry. So um is that is that kind of what sort of weighed your decision around the employee contract, or did you just think you just wanted to have them feel more as part of the team? And was it more of a cultural decision or was it financial Definitely slash, a cultural yeah, okay. decision. And
2: even with my one contractor, I would have never in a million years called him that. He comes up for team sure. photo days, he comes yep. on, you know, Christmas parties, he comes to the Rose Gold event. He is part of the team. Uh and if it was if I had my way, he'd probably be an employee that despite even, you know, <laughs> I mean that's just how he runs his side of the business. Yep. But I, I Like, I like them to all feel part of a team, yes.
0: Can we start an IA Rose Gold event, you and me? We'll just go to a five-star hotel (laughs) and eat eat nice food. You can come
2: to mine next year. Sure. (laughs)
0: Um, Can I press you on some compliance stuff?
1: Sure. Sure. So at one stage I had 15, 16 nurses working for me across six clinics um, and consent forms being signed, drug books being filled out correctly, before and after photos taken, not on mobile devices, please God. Um, clinical notes being done contemporaneously and in line with best practice. How do you go about managing all the treatments that are going on in your clinic, particularly the medical ones? And because it is like trying to herd cats, we are living in a world mm. now where regulatory um, microscopes mm-hmm. are being placed on our industry, which I think as a side topic is by our own doing. Um, but besides, we'll leave that parked to the side. So how do you how do you combat that and then sort of what's your routine for making sure that, you know, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed and everyone's doing what they need to do from a compliance perspective?
2: Well, I think again, like I said, the very first nurse I ever brought on other than myself was the ICU nurse. Mm-hmm. So she
1: got oh, all over it. Yeah. She <laughs> kind
2: of she was set with that. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was fine. In fact sometimes I had to say, you can back it off a little bit. You don't need so much information <laughs> yeah, yeah, in that yeah. one. <laughs> And then, of course, the other girls obviously have worked with me for a very, very yeah. long time. This is not to say that it's always been perfect. There yeah. are definitely times where you pick up someone's file and you're like, hello, where are the notes? Yeah. And, you know, you know that sort of thing. The Fresh app for me yeah, great. has been a game changer mm-hmm. because it does it all for you. And even now, particularly with the guideline changes, it's even more promptive. You, you kind of can't exit that patient without having ticked all the boxes. So I, I actually think that's wonderful. Yeah. Look, it's just something that I think I think I am a very ethical by-the-book nurse, mm-hmm. and I have brought on and employed very ethical by-the-book nurses. And mm-hmm. I have been approached by many, many nurses who you get a vibe about, and you're like, yeah. oh, no, 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 I don't <laughs> think. Because at yep. the end of the day, it all falls on me. Yep. And so I, you have to put your trust in them. And I'm, I've been very fortunate that I know that they know that this is their job on the line and mm. this is patient safety and this is just what we have to do. Yeah. I mean, I remember nursing school, it was just drummed into your head so hard. I don't really know how any nurses are still not doing it mm-hmm. properly
3: yeah.
2: other than for the sake of time. So we do have 15 minutes a day somewhere in the day set aside to catch up on notes. It's just a literally blocked out time oh, great. just in case they have got too busy to do mm-hmm. something in one of their previous patients. And I think that's helped because you can't come back the next day and be like, Oh God, what did I do? So as long as it's on the day, I'm, I'm happy with that.
0: Yeah. Mm. What um, note system do you use? Is it all in the fresh app or do you have a separate booking and, and CRM system?
2: We, the it all goes into the booking system, which we use, which is simple salon. So it's not like medical medical yeah. and I'm extremely old school and I have Every client has an actual paper folder no, I my love my it. Oh, my
1: goodness. And
2: I, it's out the back. My Kelly. I stop it, but you should, no, it, I've got a safe. It's my, my clinic is an old bank. Right. So there is a b- massive walk-in safe out the back and yeah. it is full of wow. files that are locked up, obviously. Yeah. And I just, I love it. Every can, time a patient comes in, I've got everything that's ever happened and I've got notes about if they had a holiday or if their son you know, turned 18 and yeah. I just know everything I need to know. Yeah. I can't remember everyone's things. <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you think you'll ever move to a paperless environment?
2: Oh, I know I'm supposed to, but I just know.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could, you could always just draw a line in the sand and say from 2024 onwards, everything. From ended. the
2: 1st of July.
1: Yeah. Oh, you are? There's
2: so many things that are not... So this is the thing. So so many of our patients come in for laser hair removal, yeah. tattoo removal, just laser genesis, yeah. eyebrow tattooing, or a million things that they see the other yeah. injectors for. So how do we keep everything together in one spot when the non-injectors don't have access to the apps uh, that we're recording the other stuff in? There's,
1: there's systems now where you can compartmentalize certain privileges and accesses. So if you look at systems like Pabu, for example, I think Columns as well. There's a couple out there that have been specifically designed for this industry. Mm. Um, okay. And they're pretty comprehensive in terms of, and we can have a conversation offline if you want. But yeah. um, there are systems where you can, you know, you, there's an app that can, you can give people certain restrictions from if they're at home or whether they're in the clinic certain yeah. people like they don't have the access to alter notes so there's lots of things that can be done now but anyway well I can yeah. um, tell you more about that later yes um okay. <laughs> god I have so many more questions <laughs> go on then <laughs> <laughs> um so in terms of treatments that you decide to offer you said you offer skin treatments you've got a million dollars worth of of lasers Devices. so yeah so you you know you are you are maybe it's a crude phrase, you know, you're being a, 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 a lot of things to a lot of people mm. um, and so how have you made those decisions in terms of which devices, because this is a question that comes a lot uh, up a lot in our, in our private chat groups and I get asked all the time, I want to get a device, what device should I get? Um, how did you make that decision and then sort of where do you sort of draw the line between, you know, we're a specialist clinic that does these procedures um, as opposed to, you know, we do this, we do this, we've got and sort of, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think because I've, and I'm from day one I have positioned myself and I couldn't afford all of the things yeah. at the start. But skin, I'm all about skin. Okay. Like healthy, glowing skin. Injectables are lovely, but if I, I truly believe there's no point in putting filler under skin that's sun damaged, thinning.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: They don't look any better. Even um, anti wrinkle to to you know if you've got had a lot of people who when I first opened who'd been seeing fly in fly out type people for 20 years. You know, almost yeah. since anti wrinkle first came out. They were in their 60s. They were country women on the farm. Yep. They were sun damaged, plus, 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 like beyond. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they'd had their upper facial lines treated for the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you know what that's going to look like, <laughs> yeah. right? Like oh, they yeah. look yeah. weird. It was just, yeah. and so it was those types of patients where I was like, we need to find a better way for this because we can't just keep doing this. And so I wanted from the get-go to have devices that treated all of the skin conditions mm-hmm. that we, um, we were seeing and so for me, the first one that was of most importance, obviously, was pigmentation because yeah. we have so much sun damage here. So we have um, the Enlighten by QTERA, which mm-hmm. is
1: uh,
2: 532, 1064,
1: yep. so Genesis type. And vascular. Yep. So it's treating uh, pigment and vascular lesions?
2: Not the Enlighten. The Enlighten can't oh. do vascular. It takes away a little bit of the uh, overall redness, but the 1064 is more for the revitalization side of things, and then the 532 is for the pigment. Right. It also, though, is indicated and treats beautifully melasma, which was something Ooh, that up tough. until that point, we just couldn't get on top of. And particularly as a nurse-led clinic, when mm. we don't, we can't always have those medical interventions. Mm. Or I can't prescribe something that they might need, you know, tranexamic acid or, Hydrogen you
3: know, a. any yeah. of those things. Yep. I
2: had to be able to have something or a way to treat it as best as I possibly could in the clinic. Obviously, I can refer them on to someone if we can't quite get there. But mm. 90% of the time now, we can get there with this device. And what I found with that device, I, I purchased it. I saved up. Obviously, I couldn't afford it to start with. Yeah. But I purchased it purely because I, I did my research and I knew that, that there was nothing like that anywhere in the region, mm. nothing that could treat pigmentation the way that this device does. It paid for itself in the first eight months. Wow. There are no consumables involved with this machine. I've had it now for a few years, and it is it makes up 20% of my overall income, wow. monthly income.
3: Wow. That's every awesome. single month,
2: without a doubt. And it is all money in the pocket. And not that things are about money, but that then allowed me to buy other devices yep. that I could then treat vascular. And I could treat, you know, now I have um the zeo So it's yep. it's a sort of a multi-platform, yep. but we've got BBL, we've got you know the limelight for other types of pigmentation and we've got the pearl and the pearl fractional right. so I can really do some like serious resurfacing now on some of my you know older patients who mm-hmm. or more mature patients who we couldn't quite get there yeah. with the less invasive lasers. You know we also have laser hair removal which was never really a particularly I was not particularly interested in that but we did not have any laser franchises here for a very long yeah. time and I knew that eventually they would be here but I thought, you know if I get this device, and I have it for a few years before the laser clinics get here. I ch- I went onto their website and I copied and pasted their prices, and I thought I'll just have the same prices, the same device. I will see all this these new sort of demographic, younger demographic, the type of people that would would go to laser clinics, hmm. and then I will show them how wonderful we are, and they will become our patients. And yeah. you know, I looked at I looked at the figures once, and our conversion rate for the people that came for the first time for just laser hair removal, let it Brazilian underarm yeah. type thing, 87% of them have converted over to injectables now yeah. and they're long-term patients of ours. So yeah. even though I wasn't particularly interested in that side of things, it was a very important device for us to have in a regional location because there wasn't anything anywhere else for someone yeah. to go for that.
0: Yeah. And then the other big thing that you do is body contouring with yes, uh, your TruScoped that's sort ID. That's like so, my
2: new, brand new.
0: Yeah. So... How and why, because, you know, this is a common question as well. How do you fit body contouring into what is traditionally a skin and facial aesthetic clinic? It, it, o- often the patients don't connect the, mm. the dots, even though it's aesthetics. They, they just kind of think, oh, it's a bit different. It's not really what, not really what I was thinking yeah. of. Mm-hmm. So how did you make that successful?
2: Yeah, so I guess that was part of my business plan as well. And it was something I was thinking about for a long, long time. I'd you know, obviously I'd had a play with cool sculpting. I'd looked at a place where I'd worked, had cool sculpting. So I'd kind of the idea of body contouring had been in the back of my head for a while. And from a business planning point of view, and like I said earlier, I'm looking at the market and I'm seeing where things are going. And I just had this feeling of the uh, this idea that the body contouring was going to become quite It was the next big thing. It was the next exciting thing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want, you know, what I like about uh, the true flex, the the, the abs stimulation is the fact that, okay, so I've just recently got on it for six sessions for lower back pain. I loved the fact that it was for functionality and for strength and for kind of regaining something that, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly as as women who have had children, you know, you never ever feel as strong in that area again, after you've had kids. And so to be able to feel strong and to feel more confident going to the gym, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting here going, Oh, come in for a quick, quick Mm -hmm. fix. And we're going to make you look like a supermodel. In fact, I don't want that to be the messaging at all. I want it to be about confidence and strength and functionality. And I did a lot of research and I found that, you know, overseas where it's used a lot more, surgeons are using it, you know, Mm post-op to try and help their patients get back to a level of functionality so then they can exercise again. Physiotherapists are using it. They're even using it on you know people in ICU who are unconscious to, yeah, to try wow. and keep the muscle mass. And I'm like, therapeutically, this is an amazing machine. And then there's the aesthetic component. And although I know when people are coming in about their faces, they're not really thinking about their body, but someone who cares about what their face looks cares about what their body looks. So of they course. are the same patient, really. Yeah. Hmm. They just haven't thought about it.
0: Yeah, no, they're 100% are. It's just, it's always been a difficult sell. Mm -hmm. Even in the, I don't think it was that successful in the chains. Do you know why I think
2: it's a difficult sell? Because it seems too good to be true. Mm. And I, I think some of the earlier models and some of the earlier ideas around it probably were too good to be true and things didn't quite work out and things were maybe oversold and you know mm. so th- there's about that expectations we really screen for body dysmorphia when it comes to our body contouring devices um, I know we ha- all have to now with faces to an extent mm. but body I found from the very early days was one of those things that people pick themselves apart far more than they do their face and mm. you could look at their before and afters and it looks absolutely fabulous and they they're like I can't even see a different and you're like it's here and you've got a ruler and you're trying to show <laughs> them so you know, we would have conversations around that and we we red flag people and say, look, I just don't think this is the right device mm. for you at mm. this time. You know, we want them to be within sort of five kilos of their goal weight, like little things so that, that we know that their expectations are realistic yeah. basically. One of the clinics I worked at that had um, cool sculpting, it, this patient came in and she was on the machine eating a Big Mac and,
3: <laughs> and yeah. you know, yeah. This
2: is not a get skinny quick scheme. This is no. a, you know, for me, I try, I sell it as a, the yeah. kickstart that you needed to feel stronger and more confident yeah. going to the gym. So, yeah. you, you know, and it kicks you on, it sends you on that sort of journey. And for the patients that that has been the case, they've just, they've loved it. They've absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah. Well, I've seen something on your website where you do a package called the skin and gym package. <laughs> yes. So how does yes. that work? Tell us more about that.
2: Oh, so it's kind of like um, we do have a membership. So we've never had these before, but when we got that, we thought, well, it's kind of like going to the gym. So let's have like a gym membership. So it's, it comes with a little card. It's like this cute little, I mean, this is where the marketing branding girl in me comes out. <laughs> and so it is just essentially they they spent, they pay for a membership basically, skin and gym membership. So <laughs> let's just say it's the gold one. They've got a rose gold one, obviously, because <laughs> it's all about pink. But they'll get the full, um, they'll get six pieces of the actual, the sculpt, which is the fat-destructing one. Then Mm -hmm. they'll get the six sessions of the flex, which is the toning and and muscle one. And then in addition to that, they'll get two lasers. So we're kind of giving them their year's worth of body and face other than injectables, obviously. Yeah. And then after that, what they can then buy is the maintenance membership, the skin and gym membership. So it gets them their monthly top-up of the Flex as well as another, their maintenance laser. So, you know, they do save about $500 by doing that wave. So our long-term, every-year patients who are coming in for these things anyway they kind of get this membership and they feel like they're part of something. And as a member, you get these special monthly offers, whether it's just, you know, half price of a medifacial or just something so that we've got that touch point with them. Yeah, And we found it was really successful and it's it's been quite a cute little mm. project.
0: Yeah, it's mm. cool. And it, and it for those people maybe sat on the fence about maybe committing to body, but they like the skin, it, it just eases yeah. them into it, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, because
2: yeah, we can say, look, you already have your three laser genesis a year. So that's kind of paying for that. And then you're getting the body stuff for half price, basically. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. Yeah.
1: yeah. So how much time do you spend with patients, you know, clinically versus managing the business? How do you sort of manage your time between clinical and business? Because, you know, you've got a lot of initiatives happening. You're coming up with, you know, clever mm-hmm. packages and, you know, all your marketing and stuff. So how do you, how do you split your time?
2: There isn't enough time,
1: right? That's okay. The
2: honest answer, yeah. But yeah. look, I would say, I would say, well, I mean, like I said, I do finish at three o'clock, so that sort of last <laughs> two hours of the day is probably my admin time. But I'm also a big wake up at 4 a.m. and get stuff done kind of girl, mm. right? I still see on average like a hundred patients a week, so I'm still seeing Jeez. a lot of patients, mm-hmm. and then all of my idea stuff and my admin time comes outside of that.
0: Wow, what time do you get to bed? Oh, Oh,
2: eight
0: thirty. Okay, <laughs> I'm like I'm good night at eight thirty. <laughs> she's gone. So halfway through the rose gold event, she's gone. Yeah, <laughs> everyone everyone else is the getting drunk. Part.
2: When I got to go out with the young girls, I'm like, oh my god, it's fast. It's my bedtime. You want to have dinner at eight? What?
1: <laughs> I know. So um, I think I've grilled you out enough business questions. Maybe let's touch on the on podcast the, on the podcast. So Sass yes. and skin, or skin, skin and, sass. and Sass. Yeah, started in 2020. Done 54 mm-hmm. episodes. How's yeah. it going? Like what was the It's inst- going well. So yeah. we've
2: just had a bit of a hiatus. Yeah. because my co-host slash best friend is useless and she won't mind me saying that. Well wow. shout out to who. <laughs> shout out to Andy. Love you. But yeah, she knows that, you know, in terms of the workload, it's definitely like yeah, a yeah. 90-10 split between the two of us. Yeah. that's funny. And so I
0: <laughs> that's funny. We're more 95 hey, I... five, aren't
2: we? <laughs> 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 sure. Hey, last time I saw Jake, he actually said that. So <laughs> uh, um,
0: there we go. Oh, Just wow.
1: the, beans now. the truth comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, no,
2: so we'd, we've we had a little hiatus, but basically it was, so this is how it came to be. Yeah. I was in the clinic. I was treating a patient from Armadale. She was, she's in her early twenties and she came in and we were doing her normal thing. Like she's she's quite a lovely person and she won't mind me telling this story. And she said, oh, she'd seen some stupid thing on TikTok. And she was like, what do you think of this? And like, she was genuinely excited. And I think she was about to hit press buy on her phone. And and I was like, What? And I was like, "Show me." And I had a look, and I was like, "Oh my god, that is absolute no, no, do not buy that." And then, but then she was like, "Oh, really?" And then I actually was able to kind of give her, "Well, look, look at it like this, and a little bit of science behind why I thought that that was complete nut of crap, and what in fact you would be better off doing if that's actually your problem." Yeah. And so I came home that afternoon, and I thought, "Oh, like that's so cool that I was able to have that conversation with this young girl." wouldn't it be cool if I could talk to a wider audience than those people that are sitting in front of me in my clinic? And that's literally how Skin and Sass was born. And I texted Andy and I said, Hey, do you want to host a podcast with me? No context, no idea. Didn't tell (laughs) her. She was like, yeah, my God, that'd be great. Again, she didn't put any thought into how much work would be involved. Um, (laughs) And so that's kind of how Skin and Sass came to be. So it is aimed and directed at consumers. It's supposed to be a little bit of fun. It's mixing you know a bit of ridiculous stuff with a bit of science and why maybe you should choose one option over another option um it's it you know i I feel like most injectors should be able to even direct their own um patients there because it's not i'm not here to compete and try and steal everyone's clients or patients it's just about giving real information and not getting it from tiktok
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so you did. I think you've done 54 episodes and, and you're on a hiatus. So how long have you been on hiatus? What's happening in the background? Six
2: months, but we're coming back. We're, we're recording um, next week. So right. we'll be back on the 27th of June, which is very exciting. And we've got some really, really cool episodes lined up. Here's my little uh, plug for myself. Sure, <laughs> but we've also got some really cool guests. And one of the great guests that we've got on is an actual influencer who was on a reality show Mm. and it's interesting because we often talk about influencers and not listening to influencers Mm. and their advice about skincare and she's um really great because she's one of those influencers who you know they're all they're given everything everyone wants to give them free treatment and free products and she's going to come on as an influencer and talk about well yeah i've tried absolutely everything and this was crap and this was great and you know so kind of like that other side of Mm. Mm. you know The coin i guess
0: to tell us about your workflow of the podcast because you know we know ours and it's crazy and and there's a few other injectors who i've seen popping up with their own podcast and they're all you know slightly different but roughly Mm -hmm. how long does it take you
2: so if we if we're recording it probably takes an hour and a half to record as you know
0: yeah but But do do you batch your episodes because your episodes are quite short aren't they
2: the the last two seasons, yes. Yeah. So there was a reason for that. The first two seasons, we would it was about an hour episode and okay. we'd record for about an hour and a half and yeah. then I would edit for probably three hours. Right truly. Okay. So to try and uh, sort of fix that problem and and for myself and be like, I just don't have that time every single week, we went to a, a more video-based but quicks and and we were showcasing some of our some of my treatments, but, you know, in a more broad sense, and this is how it works and this is what it looks like. So I had one full day of filming and recording the actual episodes and one full day in the clinic recording. And so then the putting it together was where it took the time, but it was a bit more streamlined for me. And so this season we've kind of taken a bit of both and we're going back to more of a, I guess, a podcast first, video content Mm 2nd but we're still doing half of a season in one day and then half a season in another day because I just, it's, it's so hard. And also she lives in Sydney and I live here. So right. trying to actually get together for it is rough. And I've got, you know, 16 year old and a 21 year old, she's got younger primary school kids. So our schedules are very off.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. Trust me, we know how it is. And yeah. um, what did you want to get from the video? Cause they're on YouTube, right? what, I, mm-hmm. I guess what's the why? what 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 are you? the
2: why the why was because we we did find that we were talking a lot about laser or you know this is this is what you can do with this is laser hair removal like whatever it was. yeah. and I think it was nice for a little while to kind of give people a visual of what it looked like. Hmm. Most predominantly it's just still the two of us and then we will kind of cross over. and for me personally and I mean obviously I invested the money into that part of it. What I found with those, I think we've, we ended up with about 12 videos that beautifully showcase all the different things we do in my clinic. We are now able to give that to our patients when they're asking, oh, well, what does that look like? What does that mm. feel like? And we're able to just say, hey, watch this nine minute episode. And so those two seasons were really, I think, beneficial from a clinic point of view, but also our die-hard podcast fans still loved them because they got that snippet of you know andy and i bantering together
0: yeah do, do you have any idea of your stats or how many people are listening what your reach is where they are anything like yeah.
2: that yeah i mean look we're not like you guys obviously <laughs> but we, oh, were about, we, were, look, we were averaging about we're averaging somewhere between 500 and 700 an episode okay um, that's good youtube obviously i mean look some of the episodes have got like fifteen thousand views and others have got like a few hundred but that's not that, I mean, it was never really my goal to be like a YouTube star or anything yeah. like that. I just needed some video content because I thought, you know, people are very visual these mm-hmm. days. Yeah. It was nice to have all that extra content for our socials. But yeah, podcasts, I think it always did the audio. I'm sorry. Can you hear my dogs? No, No. They're really carrying on.
1: That's right.
2: Yeah. So the audio side of it, I think is where it's at. Because as we said, people like to get yeah. in their car and drive sure. or go to the gym or go for their walks. And it's much easier to listen to a podcast than to sit there with your phone and watch it.
0: Mm. Well, the good news is that I think that I read a stat, 95% of podcasts don't go past 10 episodes. Mm. So you're already killing it. You're on what well, did you. you say, season what now? Season five now. Season yeah. five. Okay, fair enough. And um, do you have any advice for people who are listening who maybe want to start their own podcast? Because we sometimes get that question mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, all, all of our equipment versus your equipment is probably so different. It's very hard to, to sort of explain mm-hmm. how to do it. But any advice for people?
2: Yeah, well, you just need to – I would say do your research in terms of the equipment, but in terms of the actual podcast and the content, mm-hmm. you need to know that you're really passionate about what you're doing because mm-hmm. it is – work. It is a lot of work, <laughs> as you know. It is a love project, realistically. I mean, you guys probably get a bit of sponsoring and things like that, but I mean, it's not going to...
1: Only recently, uh, really. I mean, yeah. for the Ooh. for
2: most people, it's not going to pay the rent. You're doing it because you love it and because you want to. And you also need to know that whatever you've decided to talk about is I guess a little bit different, a little bit new. Like what's your niche? Why, why would someone what's in it for the listener? Basically like anything, because everybody's busy, busy. There are a gazillion podcasts out there now. So why would they pick yours and whatever you've decided to talk about? Like, do you have enough, for more than 10 episodes because there's only so much you can talk about sometimes. You think, oh, what else am I going to talk about this week?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess sort of to sort of finish things up a little bit, um, you obviously do a lot of KOL work. You've also got your clinic coaching that you do. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so clinic coaching came around a little bit organically, I guess. Probably Mm. I would say about six years into my business, Mm -hmm. I started getting asked to speak at different events. Uh, so starting with revision and Jen Marini. So it's more skincare brands because I was in like little old Tamworth, but I was top 10 in Australia for Jen Marini and top five, I think for revision skincare. So I do sell a lot of skincare again, because my skincare works and, and people see results and we sell it with passion and I use it personally. So I started speaking at events for them and then it sort of ha- the same thing happened with my first device, which was a Candela device. So they asked me to speak because of, of I guess, how many people were using it and then what it was doing for my business. And then of course, all of my Cutera devices did the same. And Cutera is kind of where I ended up sitting just because I love, I really do like Cutera as a company and I, their devices have just been so wonderful for, for my clinic. And, and I've got such amazing before and afters that I can share with other nurses and doctors and so from that i guess uh, sorry and then just to step back a second i guess with my marketing side of it and so you know when you you bring in my ability to to market a new treatment and brand it because of my background it's it's a little bit unique I guess that I've got both of those things because a lot of doctors and nurses don't really know where to start when it comes to like marketing. And so the fact that I was able to kind of speak to both of those things, I, you know, I was getting asked to talk a lot. And so then from that, I found that I was just getting question after question from, from nurses who were sort of newish going, I really need your help. And even doctors going, I need your help. I don't know how to do my social media. I don't know how to do this. (laughs) And so I started helping people out of the kindness of my heart. And then I mm-hmm. thought okay this is taking up a lot of my time. I probably need to monetize mm-hmm. this or otherwise I'm a bit silly. And then it kind of just became a bit of an ad hoc thing, but I found that I needed to streamline it for the sake of my own time. And so I sat down, created a bit of a program and a bit of a, a bit of structure so I've kind of got social fundamentals. So if you are really good with everything but you're just not sure what to do on Instagram, the social fundamentals is for you because it's a quick way for us to talk about what you should do, shouldn't do. I can have a review, I can give you some tips and we can go from there. I can teach you how to, you know, I had one person who just literally needed me to show them how to use Instagram. Like they just didn't know. I've got business fundamentals and that's kind of for the person who, who hasn't got any idea about how to structure that business plan or what they might need to do or where to start. And then I've got the leader in your field, which kind of combines both of them, but it also has a shadow day and it has a lot of one-on-one time where you can just pick my brain and I'm kind of available to you for the coming months, for the next six months, so that when you start to implement some of the things that we've discussed, you know, and you want to sort of run it past me, I'm still there to talk to you about it. So. And then from them, I've also got just one-on-one Zooms and we can we can tweak it to whatever you want. Mm. But I needed kind of a basic structure to start from because it was starting to take up too much of my time. And so I guess it was a bit of an organic thing that just kind of came from the fact that I was in front of people talking about what I was doing. Mm. But I felt like I was in a position to be able to have those conversations because of the combination of my skills.
0: Mm. Yeah. Do you um, enjoy getting up on stage and, and being a speaker as a KOL? It's a weird roll sometimes you sort of dip in it yeah. out and you might not do something for a year and then suddenly you're thrust onto the stage
2: this started this year i've done everything i think i've been in almost every state plus new zealand like it, it was being a bit crazy so i know what you mean by that but i do enjoy it i spend a, i'm a, I'm a prepper so it takes up absolute. like i mean they pay you as you know but it doesn't does not cut i mean <laughs> yeah. if you take in consider all the hours that i spend prepping yeah. it doesn't come close to covering an hourly wage and then I sit there and really like I'm almost rocking back and forth in the corner in that <laughs> moment before I go on thinking, yeah. with the imposter syndrome, like yes. why does this room of people care what I have to say? <laughs> mm-hmm. But then as soon as I step on stage, I feel quite comfortable. And then, of course, the feeling of afterwards when you've got this sort of line of people going, oh, my God, you I know, want a selfie. So good, can you tell me a little bit? <laughs> yeah, and that kind of reinforces that, oh, okay, well, they do want to hear what I have to say and it's a really nice feeling. So, yeah, I, I like it.
0: Yeah, David did his sort of – well. You've done a couple with IA, but you did yeah. your first solo one, a few yeah, weeks with Mertz
1: a few weeks ago. Yeah, I presented at their sort of nurse academy on on business and sort of my thoughts on what success looks like in twenty twenty three, and just you know, it's all just sort of basic fundamentals. But I guess I was so stuck in my own world for so long, I, I sort of really didn't un- appreciate where people's sort of knowledge was in terms of running business. So it was part of my ignorance, not really realizing, and then also just assuming that people. We're kind of on the same path because I've had like a weird background where I've always been on the business side. But just from being around these treatments for so long, you just sort of absorb it over time. So, mm-hmm. like you, a fairly unique skill set in terms of just being exposed to all this stuff and and doing business at uni and all that kind of stuff, which wasn't useful by the way. I thought it was a waste of time. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah so, no, I know. <laughs> yeah, um, no. So it's it's interesting, and I think that you know we are still very much in the infancy um, of this industry. You know, I think that we are really just scratching the surface and you know there's some really exciting times to come probably some tough times to come before then um but it's almost like a form of natural selection i think people need to really mm. you know get their yeah. shit together and start taking their businesses seriously and so conversations like this with you you know the patreon group that we've had where we've got you know over 200 people from around the world now who know super experienced global key opinion leaders, people that are just starting injecting and, and trying to build a, a worldwide community where we just sort of try and lift each other up and learn from each other and share experiences and, and mistakes and, and try and, I guess, pave a new path forward for, for the industry, which has been, you know, a little bit negative and disjointed and, and so, yeah, it's sort of like the growing pains
0: of, of something new. Yeah. yeah thank you kelly yeah. for sharing all of your thank experiences you. what that was it like being chat, on a podcast guys. yourself <laughs> sorry what was it like being on a podcast being the, yeah. the interviewed person
2: <laughs> um it's much easier yeah. <laughs> oh really just just have to answer some questions yeah, yeah, yeah that's
0: true that's true well yeah we really appreciate your insights. so i'm sure the listeners got a lot out of that yeah absolutely all right thank you very much kelly we'll see you soon take thanks, care thanks kelly thanks guys For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics.
1: Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.